security or the most important thing about knowing Jesus is security. My name is uh, Tybo Connell. I'm from Connolly Road in Ballyfehan. Actually, this is my parish that I'm sitting in this chair at the moment. I'm uh, the only boy in the family of four. So I have four sisters, and I'm also the youngest. And um, I'm spoiled. <laughs> but uh, growing up was kind of... Uh, even looking back, and like growing up as a young kid, I, I, I had a terrible anxiety disorder, very, very fearful. I was born with a thing called uh, osteogenesis imperfecta. It's a brittle bones disease, and I had a very mild form of it. So that was able to, um, I wasn't able to play football. I wasn't able to participate in, in sports like, like people I grew up with. So when I was growing up as a young fella, I, I knew I was different than anybody else. And I knew that I, I could be hurt easily and I knew that I could, uh, I could break at any time. And I knew that slagging was coming if I did break because it was a time I had a broken hand and a broken collarbone and the two more was wrapped up like this. And, you know, and uh, I, I could hear like the smart comments. You know, he's broken again. So as a young, as a young child, I thought he was broken. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. I always felt um, this kind of sensation of something's bad was going to happen, or I couldn't amount to anything, or that kind of suppressed emotions kind of stuff. But when I went down the alleyway by my mother's house, I was after meeting an older group, and uh, they handed me a flag and a cider, so it had been a two-liter cider. And um, when I drank it, it released release that anxiety and fear inside me and um and i loved it and it gave me the ability to be comfortable in my own skin and um and that's what i was that's all that's all that i wanted it gave me the ability to talk to people it gave me the ability to create new tides so when i drank i became it altered my reality and and that's what i wanted i wanted my reality to be altered so that would have been the main thing i would have went to was alcohol the last time i drank i ended up uh, next to a river I was going to jump in. My head was after telling me that if I jumped in, my life would be grand, or their life would be grand after six months. So that's where that, that's where alcohol brought me, was the edge of a river. So even in the depths of the, in the depths of my drinking, I would have thought about uh, there had to be more to life than this. So I wouldn't. I used to go into the, the local church. And I used to go in there for a bit of peace because the mind used to be racing and I used to, it was a quiet place. And I remember looking at the statues and looking at the cross and I'd be wondering to myself, how come, you know, a person would do that or why would he do that? And the kind of questions came in but I didn't take much notice of it. Like I always thought like the work system in the traditional religion would have saved me. I thought that if I'd done these correct things I'd be okay. Because I knew deep down I was a bad person and I knew that my consciousness of my past was always there. And the guilt and the shame that I that I caused in my past was always there. And I didn't know how to get rid of it. So even when I stopped drinking, I still had the consequences of my past. And I went into traditional religion, tried to remove that that fear and anxiety from the past, or that guilt that I felt, or the shame that I felt. I was going to traditional teachings three days a week. I was going to um, seminars to try to understand about work system. But every time I got so far, I fell again. And I used to go back in and talk to, uh, I talked to a few priests about falling and graces and stuff like that that I was being taught by the traditional religion. And I was told that I can, uh, I can work my way up to the, the righteousness. And I thought for a while I did. I used to go in there and I used to practice these, 
these teachings. They used to be come around and be beating my chest and I'd be going home and, you know, and then the anger would come out of home and I'd, go, I'd blame them at home then and I'd go back in again try to get myself right. So that kind of changed when I picked up the, the Bible one day and I read a passage Paul wrote and he said that we all fall short of the glory of God. And that kind of, the realisation of, okay, if we all fall short of the glory of God, including Paul, I haven't got a hope. You know, and that kind of changed my thinking then and saying, like, you know, I can't get myself righteous. You know, I'm not good enough. So when I was reading scripture, I, I kind of had no one to turn to. So it was like, uh, I, I actually met a guy called Billy. He owned a bookshop and Billy would have been an ex-priest. So I went in talking to him about it and he used to, he used to tell me what scripture says and the meaning of scripture and the meaning of graces. And at the same time, I reached out to a guy called Bryce and um, I reached, when I reached out to him, he, uh, he said he'd meet up with me to have a chat and I actually, told him I'd meet up four times before I actually did. I think it was the fifth or sixth time I actually met up with him because I kept walking. So the first thing I noticed when I met up with him in a coffee shop is he didn't have two heads or he didn't have a long stick. You know, he was actually a normal looking person and uh, he spoke he spoke normal as well. And uh, when we met up, I had a cup of coffee and had a chat. The answers I was asking him, he answered through scripture. There was no other answer he was giving me but through the gospel. And I was kind of curious and I was kind of saying, like, you know, how come he's not saying something else? But when I was asking him something then and asked, telling him, you know, that what I, what I understood what was right, he asked me where did I get it from? And I actually didn't know. So the more we, the more we, um, the more we met up and all the answers he was giving me were all gospel answers. So when I met up the, the, the guy in the coffee shop, the Christian, the Christian guy, he told me about this gathering of churches. And I went home and I asked the wife to uh, come down on a Sunday morning with me. She said she wouldn't go down to them wearers at all, but she ended up coming down when I kept asking her. And when she was in there, on the way home from the car, she told me she was after getting a, a, an experience in there. She said she felt like her heart was after turning and she wanted to know who Jesus was. And I thought she was messing with me and driving home in the car and... I looked at her like, and I said, yeah, yeah I know about us. And she said, no, seriously, I want to know who Jesus was. I'm going to the Bible study on a Wednesday. And uh, that drove me mad. I got, anxiety, I got uh, anxious and I got um, very, very jealous. And the fact that for me, for years, through the search for Jesus and a person I wasn't even looking for, and Jesus found her. So that made me realize that it wasn't me looking for Jesus. I had to stand still. And Jesus would have come to me. It's when I realized what religion actually was on about and what Christianity was on about. Like in Christianity, it's okay to fail. You just get back up, you dust yourself off and you keep going. So in traditional religion, it was like, I thought I failed. Traditional religion failed for me because it was me that was failing. But in Christianity, Christianity didn't fail me, it's because I wasn't in control. It was the Lord that had me in his hands and he was in control. So the, the comfort I got from Christianity was that I could never build myself up to the righteousness of God in, in traditional religion, but realizing that I am righteous from the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross, and that um, through his crucifixion that I am right, and it doesn't matter what I try to do or what I don't do or what I could do or what I possibly could have done better. 
really doesn't matter once you have the blood of Christ. And realizing that, again, releases the anxiety, doesn't take it away. It's still suffering from an anxiety disorder. Of course, it's not as bad. And when it does happen, I know where to go. I run to the cross. And what I mean by running to the cross is simple. It's whatever I have or whatever I'm going on through life. I sit down and I talk to Christ about it and I ask him to fix it for me. And I try not to fix it myself through my own works. So let's just open in prayer. Dear God, I just thank you um, for all you are. I thank you uh, that you are the saviour of everybody who comes to you, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity you gave us to come to you, to have a relationship with you when all else had failed. I just thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. I thank you for what he's done for us. I pray that you would help me to speak your word today, speak your truth today and um, for this to encourage people and to build people up. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay. So this, um, this testimony you've just heard is a kind of good example, really, of somebody, and there are lots of people who have experienced religion, has experienced Christianity in the first case, and been sort of a bit disillusioned by it, They've initially thought, oh, this is good, this is helping me. But then they've discovered that something even in that is missing. Um, But thankfully, he managed to find that out, and he found the true Jesus. He found out who Jesus was. The sad thing is that I'm sure in our own experiences, what we'll find when we reach out to people is that a lot of people have had enough of Christianity and religion, um, and they don't make that transition. A lot of people, when you talk to them, will say, I've tried religion, it didn't work, or... They'll say that um, Christians have let them down, church has let them down, that they found it deceiving or they've been felt conned by churches wanting money or wanting to control them. Um, they'll also look at it and they'll see the example of some of the scandals and the abuse that's happened in church and they'll say, you know, I don't want any part of that. You know, Christianity is wrong. They'll see wars, particularly in this country, in this town. I mean, it couldn't be a better town to know what has been done in the name of Christianity in terms of wars and this country especially um, is still a problem. Um, And that's totally understandable and I empathise with these people because I see that problem and I can see that happening but we know as Christians, knowing Jesus, that Jesus is actually the solution. He's not the problem. Uh, The difficulty is sort of explaining that to people and why that's the, the truth. So let's start reading. The, the main passage today is John 14, 1 to 7, but there's quite a lot of other ones as well. And this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to his disciples. He's just told them that he's going to be going away somewhere, but they won't be able to follow him just yet. They'll have to follow him later, but they don't really understand this. They think he's going across on a holiday or something. So um, this, is, um, this is Jesus speaking here. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. 
From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And that's John 14, 1 to 7. Now, I think this perfectly sums up. It's one of the great verses for explaining why Jesus is the solution for us. Um, It's the solution to man's greatest question, really, greatest problem, and that is, what is there after life? And how do I get salvation? How do I get to heaven? Jesus is explaining he's the only way, that he is the truth, that he offers life, he comes to offer life. And he's also explaining there, he's saying that if you've you've seen him, if you know him, and we have the chance to know him, have a personal relationship with him through his Holy Spirit, then we've seen the Father. He's explaining that he is indeed fully God and fully man. Um, So it's an amazing verse and explains why Jesus is the answer. But to sort of explain why he was necessary in the first place, to explain why this had to happen for people to get a relationship with God and to have eternal life, we just need to just quickly go back through the Gospel. You may, you'll probably have heard this quite a few times, but if you haven't, that's great. So, uh, So just in the beginning, God created the world. He created everything in it and he created mankind, uh, male and female. And um, everything was perfect. Um, but he gave man, he wanted to give man, he wanted God, man to be in his image. And in his, in his image means to have his attributes. And one of his attributes is free will, the right to choose right from wrong and all that sort of stuff. And unfortunately, as we know, Adam and Eve chose the other path. They chose to disobey, to turn away from God and to rebel. And as a result, this brought sin into the world and it brought death into the world and imperfection into the world. And this created a sort of chasm between us and God because God is perfect. God can't be close to anything imperfect. And we, through the genealogy of Adam and Eve, through every man and woman in history, has been inherited that sin from them, which has made them imperfect. And it's created this chasm, unbridgeable seemingly chasm between us and God. And over the years, we've tried all sorts of things to bridge that chasm. Um, we tried religion Uh, the Jewish people tried keeping the law fully God said if you keep the law absolutely fully that will bridge the gap but they couldn't do it because every single person who's ever lived has been imperfect apart from one we try good deeds a lot of people today including many Christians would say if if you're a good person you're going to go to heaven if you're a bad person you go to hell and that's the way we see it but of course the Bible doesn't teach that the Bible teaches something different it teaches that Jesus is the only way And that is why Jesus came. Jesus is the only man or woman on earth to have ever lived a perfect life. He lived, he kept the law perfectly for us once and for all. He was crucified and he rose again to life. All for us. And the cross there then creates this bridge between us and God because when God sees us and our faith in Jesus, he sees the perfection of Jesus and he allows us it gives us the chance to be with him, as John 3.16 explains there. So this is why Jesus is the way. This is why Jesus is the answer. It's why he's the solution for mankind. Um, Just to sort of sum that up, really, James 2.10 explains what it's like when we try to keep the law to get to God. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. We can't possibly keep it because we have built-in sin. We're not perfect enough to keep it. But Hebrews 7.26 explains why Jesus is the only one who could do that. It says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. This is why Jesus was the only one who could do it. It's because he's fully man and fully God. But I think even if, even if you don't believe that, even if you don't believe in Jesus, 
Um, I think even atheists can see that Jesus' actual life and his teachings are the solution for a much better world. You know, whether, whether they believe in Je- Jesus is the son of God or, or not, I think it's pretty clear that Jesus' Jesus' life and his teachings are exactly what we need to do to have a better life um, and a better world, basically. You know, so first of all, I'm going to build up a sort of photo of who Jesus is and why, even beyond the important thing, which is eternal life and him being the only way, that he is also the answer for for mankind. You see, Jesus is forgiving. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And Romans 5.8 says that God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did it, though we didn't deserve it. Though we hadn't come back to him, he came and did it. That's incredible forgiveness and grace. He was also very humble. He was seated in heaven. Probably, you know, there's no reason for him to come down. But he came down to live our lives, to experience life like us, but also then to be ridiculed, rejected and, um, and crucified. All for us. That incredible humility. Mark 10:45 says, "For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." And um, Philippians 2:8 says, "And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." His obedience to God was incredible, to the point of dying for all of us, even though we didn't deserve it. Incredible humility for somebody, you know, who, who's, who's basically God. He was also graceful and true. Uh, John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And he also put others ahead of himself. Uh, 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He is the example of just incredible selflessness, giving his entire life, giving his position, his status, everything up for the good of others. Incredible love. Jesus is also completely loving, most loving person that's ever lived. That doesn't mean that he's lawless. People, you know, when you say God is love, Jesus is love, people think, well, that means, you know, anything goes. Jesus, the love of Jesus isn't like that. There are things that man does that don't please Jesus. He's not saying, you know, I love you, you can do whatever you want now. Don't follow God's, don't try to live a better life. Don't repent and and follow me. But he is incredibly loving and he would reach out to absolutely everybody. He ultimately wants everybody, every single person to come back to him. Um, John 13, uh, 34 to 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the example he wants us to set. He wants us to show his love, his perfect love, through the way we act with others. And Galatians 5, 22 and 23 explains the fruits of the Spirit that we get when we believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells within us. We should have these gifts. And if everybody in the world had used these gifts, then the world would be so much of a better place. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Jesus also shows a love that is without limits, a love that is illogical to us. 
Um, Matthew 5, 43 and 44 says, You've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's totally against how we would see things. But God wants us to show love to absolutely everybody, even the people who are, who are awful to us, even people who persecute us. So I hope this gives some sort of idea of who Jesus is. So I've written down the, the attributes of Jesus, the ones that mean that he is our only solution, that he is salvation for us and he is the only way. And also how he um, shows that example of perfection as well and is a solution for life on earth. But let's also look at how man has portrayed Jesus over the years and let's compare and contrast. So, Jesus taught salvation was through faith alone and there's loads of evidence in the Bible um, and I'm sure somebody in this church, if you want evidence of that, then we can show you that evidence to show that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. The church and man has often taught that, yes, Jesus cleanses your sins, but there's other sins you have to work off. There's rights you have to complete. Maybe you need to be part of a certain church. Maybe you need to do certain things along the way to become saved. Um, so there's that, it's, it's been taught that Jesus is plus something else, when in fact Jesus teaches that he is the only way and salvation comes through faith alone. Um, Mankind and, and generally people are increasingly believing, and uh, even some churches teach this, that there are many routes to God. That whether you come as a, you know, whether you, you, you stay in one religion or whether you want to create this DIY God with parts of different spiritualities, that there are many ways to God and Jesus is only one of those ways. Well, Jesus taught that he is the only, the one and only way. So there's a difference there as well. Over the years... Um, the church and mankind has also used Jesus' name as an excuse for war, an excuse for violence and hatred, an excuse for class warfare in this country um, and this town in particular, that has been the case. There has been forced conversion, there have been crusades, there has been bloodshed in the name of Jesus. Of course, Jesus' only way of um, telling us to spread the truth was to do it lovingly through the Great Commission, to reach out to people through telling them about the gospel and by living our lives and showing them love. That is the way we're supposed to convert people, not by holy wars and forced conversion. The church has also had a problem with its richness. A lot of people see the church and they see lavish riches. Some churches are the most rich organisations in the world. Um, there's a huge amount of pomp, there's loads of lavish dress and gold cups and tradition. Um, there's, people, there's a hierarchy where some people in the priesthood are better than others and other people and there's a hierarchy. And that was similar to what it was like in Jesus' time with the Pharisees and the Sadducees where you had a group of people that Jesus actively criticised for the way that they had put themselves ahead of the people. They'd created man-made laws, they'd complicated things and they were actually taking advantage of the sheep of, of the congregation. And this has also happened over history with the church in a way that's been, uh, you know, really bad. But when you look at Jesus, first of all, he criticised that. But secondly, he showed this incredible humility. He showed a love for the poor. He didn't exploit the poor. He helped the poor. He preached love and compassion. Completely, completely different. Some churches today um, teach that if you become a Christian, you're going to have a wonderful life. You're going to be prosperous, if you, usually if you do certain things and give certain monetary offerings. You'll have a wonderful 
healthy and prosperous life. Well, Jesus didn't teach that. He taught us to look out and to go after riches in heaven. Our eternal life is seen as our riches. That's what we're aiming towards. We're not looking for a perfect life on earth. We're not looking for prosperity on earth. And yet man still to this day has been trying to trick people to think that Jesus is about worldly wealth. Um, So again, Jesus has been misrepresented in that way. The church has also, and I think in Ireland it's been the case of people see the church as something that keeps them in shame, that makes them feel bad about themselves, that makes them feel controlled. Um, You know, awful things have been done in that way as well. But Jesus, of course, preached total forgiveness. He breaks every chain. He's not wanting us to be feeling that we're stuck in our shame because while we should, our consciences should lead us at the same time, Jesus is it's only through Jesus that we are able to be righteous and he has given us this, this freedom to not feel bad about ourselves. He's taken away our shame. He doesn't want to put it upon us. I mentioned earlier that there's been loads of scandals, loads of abuse and awful things that have happened in the name of Jesus. But is that, are the people who do these acts, are they truly followers of Jesus? Are they following Jesus' example? Well, clearly not because Jesus was loving to absolutely everybody. There is no way that you can be following Jesus and abuse children, abuse people. There's just no way. It can't be happening. If you're following the example of Jesus in the Bible, you will not be doing that thing. And you also won't be showing bigotry and and hate towards people. You know, some Christians as well think that it's okay to be horrible to certain groups of people um, and to spew hatred towards them because of that. But Jesus never taught that. He never taught that we should be hateful towards people. He didn't say we should tolerate all types of behaviours. There's certain types of behaviours that we can't endorse that aren't biblical, but we still reach out to those people. Jesus still wants those people to come back to him. They're still made in his image. And we should be showing love towards them and lovingly trying to correct people if necessary. And we shouldn't be hypocrites as well. Christians are often thought of as being hypocrites and often that's been a reason why people have left churches. But We should be leading by example, just as Jesus led by example. He's all about leading by example. And so, as you can see here, there's this... On on the right-hand side, we have the solution. We have Jesus Christ in the Bible. And on the left-hand side, we have the problem, which is how man has betrayed Jesus. A completely incorrect way of betraying people, uh, of betraying Jesus ahead of actually what he taught. I think... You know, that is kind of akin to how the church has portrayed Jesus on occasion, okay? It's got the badge on it. It's got the right badge on it. That looks like a Ferrari. It's got a Ferrari badge on it. It must be a Ferrari, must not it? But if you were to buy that car, you'd probably be extremely disappointed by it. You'd probably think, this isn't living up to the expectations of what it should be. Well, it's the same with the church. If you, if you buy into something that has a badge of Jesus on it, you can be hugely disappointed when you discover that actually, you know... This is unreliable and and it's going to let me down. And that's why we need to realise and we need to be able to spot who Jesus is. And people, we need to lead people to understand that actually this betrayal of this thing that you've been told is Jesus, actually, maybe it might have a badge of him on it, but it's not him at all. Um, The tragedy is that there are many people who unfortunately have been taught the wrong Jesus from an early age or haven't been taught about Jesus at all. So all they get is this perception of what the church looks like and what the man-made 
things that God has, that, that man has done in the name of Jesus, they see that and they think that's Jesus when in fact it's not. And that's why it's so, so important for us to, to read the Bible and compare and contrast. The Bible actually warns us against this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11:4 says, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easy, easily enough. And this is Paul talking about the early church. Even in the early church, they were getting people who were spreading a gospel that wasn't Jesus. They were, talking about a G, uh, they were talking about Jesus who wasn't actually the true Jesus of the Bible. And this is in the early days. Imagine how much worse it's got over time. You know, how many, uh, how many people there are misrepresenting Jesus now. And that's why it's important that we keep on reading scripture and reminding ourselves who God is, who Jesus is, so we can recognise when we're being led astray. And it's important for us to lead others to scripture as well for the truth, so they don't just believe what they're told about Jesus, but they actually read into it. And it's important also for us to continually check ourselves against Jesus' example, to see if we are also representing Jesus in our lives in the right way. So there are those attributes. He's the only way. He's the only way to salvation. It's salvation through faith alone. And then all these wonderful things in the way Jesus is. So ask yourself, you know, Christianity, the world for Christians these days is a bit of a minefield. If you go on YouTube, you will find a wealth of really bad stuff. You will find, you're trying to find a good teacher on the internet is hard. You'll find people preaching from the extreme conservative side and from the extreme liberal side. And you don't know, you don't know which, who's telling the truth. It's hard to tell. Even when somebody preaches some good preaches, the third one might be bad. You know, it's a minefield. But the way of navigating that minefield is, as I said before, is just to come back to Jesus, to come back to the Bible and to look at those attributes and to say, does that look like Jesus? Does that teaching sound like Jesus? And by doing that, you'll suddenly find that when you hear something, you'll go, hold on a minute. Is that what Jesus did? Is that what Jesus stands for? And you'll go back. And if it does match, great. If it doesn't match, whoever's delivering that message has gone off track. And, um, you know, we can't sit here today claiming that we're perfect. We can't, nobody can claim they're perfect and no church can claim they're perfect. I believe that we do preach the true gospel and the full gospel, absolutely. But we always need to keep vigilant, even, you know, to make sure that what we're preaching is correct. And just to look at ourselves and look at our lives and look at the way we act as a church community and ask ourselves, are we always representing Christ as best we can? And can we be more like Jesus? But if you're looking for any church that's perfect, you're not going to find it. Um, Obviously, the minimum thing is that they're preaching the correct gospel. They're preaching that Jesus is the only way, salvation through Jesus alone, salvation through faith alone. That's absolutely vital. But you're never going to find an absolutely perfect church. And if you're ever looking for a perfect Christian, well, good luck, because you're never going to find a perfect Christian either. There is not such a thing as a perfect Christian, because only Jesus has been perfect. And if you've got problems with anybody in the church, if you're, you, know, you don't get on with somebody in the church, then my advice to you would be, yeah, it's not an excuse for bad behaviour, but 
Also look at yourself. Also look at your own perfections and whether your perception of that person is down to one, something that's to do with your problem rather than that person themselves. Because we need to show grace to one another. Part of our um, job as Christians is to reflect the love of God. Show the grace to other people. Show love and compassion and forgiveness, self-control, generosity. Encourage one another. This is our job as a church. We need to be doing that with each other, showing the right example so we're not letting anybody down by betraying something that isn't Jesus. And we need to, most importantly, do that for people out in the community as well and show them you know, who we are and why Jesus is, in fact, the only way. Because um, unlike other religions or spirituality, the story of Christianity is the only one that points people to God, that points people to the righteousness of Jesus. It's all about God's righteousness. It's not about what we can do. It's not about how we can work our way up. We don't need to do anything ourselves and we don't need to focus on ourselves. We don't need to focus on man. We need to focus on God. Other religions require you to do that. Other religions are about self-improvement or becoming, you know, having a better life and um, being at one with yourself and stuff like that. But Christianity isn't. Christianity is about what Jesus did for us. It points us, the whole Bible focuses, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, just to see the amazing joined-upness of the Bible, that everything, absolutely everything, points to Jesus. All the stuff that was written thousands of years before him, all the prophecies, they all focus on Jesus. Incredible, incredible stuff that could only have been uh, been written and, and the breath of God, basically. This is what Jesus did for us. It's why he's the only solution. It's why Christianity, actual true Christianity, is absolutely the solution. If you're thinking today that, you know, is Christianity the solution? I can tell you absolutely it really is. Nothing else will satisfy. And that's not just for your eternal salvation. It's for your life. I can tell you that there is no other better lifestyle than a Christian lifestyle. If people think that you become a Christian and you're having to give up on having a good life, it's quite the opposite. Once you realise and once you've discovered that there is no satisfaction in the world, you will discover that Jesus and God is the only satisfaction. It's the only way you're going to find satisfaction in this life. It's the only way you're going to enjoy eternity with God because Jesus is the only way. I'm just going to finish on some some Bible verses um, which really sum that up and just sum up that sort of bridge thing that I was, uh, the gospel story that I was telling earlier. Uh, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. As I said before, we are unrighteous, but through Jesus' righteousness we are saved. That's why he's the only way. And Hebrews 10.10 says, And by this we will have been sanctified, that is, purified, made righteous, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He did this once. It is finished. It is over. We don't need to do anything else. He did it for all of us as well. That's the incredible thing. Not just a couple of us, but absolutely everybody. He wants to come to him. And uh, John 3.16, which, you know, if ever there was a, you know, the the Bible is, you you would know that the Bible was God-breathed. It's the perfection of this this soundbite which just says it all about Jesus and why, even though we've heard it many times, you can't get bored of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is the crux. That is why Jesus is the solution. It's why man is the problem and always has been because of that sin through Jesus. We've always been the problem. But the only solution to our problem is Jesus Christ.
absolutely. Even religion has got it wrong. Even Christian people, whether they've done it purposefully or whether they've done it by accident, we, we're always getting it wrong. We're always getting it wrong. But Jesus, if you look at Jesus, if you point to Jesus, if you look at Jesus in the Bible, he is 100% the solution. Uh, and I'll just finish on the verse I started with, which is John 14:6. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you remember one thing, then, then, then that's it. Jesus is the way. Uh, he's the only way.